This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, The Ascent Leader, CDF Capital, and Food for the Hungry. I'm Steve Carter, and I'm excited because I am joined by someone who I have respected for decades. I came to know Pastor Mark Moore because I was at a Christen Youth Student Conference and there was this guy who had more energy. It was like Red Bull incarnated. And the ideas of what was coming from the stage, there was Jewish roots, there was history, there was Greek words, there was energy. And I, I was watching a guy who I couldn't tell if he was in his 30s, his 40s, or his 50s. <laughs> I had no idea. But all I knew is as I looked around the room, every 16, 17, 18 year old was leaning forward. And I just, I was amazed by this guy. So fast forward, I'm doing student ministry work. I find out that Mark Moore is this professor at Ozark College and he's teaching out in Joplin. And I get a link to his class that has all of his teachings that he's done that basically someone's recorded him just audio is like before podcast, just the audio of, of Mark teaching acts one. And then the next, like the, the Wednesday class acts two, then the Friday class acts two again. And then the, the, the Monday, the next week acts three. And I just would inhale it. And it was all over the place, but the content was just, it just literally blew my mind. I, I saw Acts in a fresh new way. He's released a commentary on the book of Acts. It's just unbelievable. But then he moved out to uh, Phoenix, where is where I reside now. And he works with uh, a, a buddy of mine, Ashley Woolridge, is the teaching pastor at one of the largest churches in the country, Christ Church of the Valley. And, and again, someone who's been able to be in the classroom and have every student, college student lean in be in the student conference world, have, an, have all of these students lean forward. And then I'd go listen to him preach at CCV and I watch people of all ages and spectrums leaning in. And I just uh, have been enamored that he's the same guy, uh, but somehow he's been able into all of these different spaces, have this ability to invite people to lean into the text, into God's word to open their hearts, their minds to his, to the spirits leading and direction in their life. And so I've been so excited. Um, obviously, you know, we do the crafting character, like communicators cohort, a year long cohort. And Mark is one of our coaches and he's just fantastic in the ways that he pulls out content, answers questions, pushes and challenges people to grow in the craft of communication. So without further ado, that's probably the longest intro I've done on this show. Uh, but Mark Moore, you deserve it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on the Craft and Character Podcast, buddy. Man, you're 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 too kind. And what what your listeners uh, may not know the backstory is you came and preached at Force at CCV, and I remember sitting back. Uh, I was up in the balcony, you know, looking down, watching watching everyone just go, 
who is this guy? And I thought, oh, well, it's been a good run. I'm out <laughs> then. So <laughs> whatever. I dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> well, no, you did you did a, f- a phenomenal job. So it's uh, you know it's it's it really mutual respect. Thank you for that very oh. kind introduction. Thanks, my friend. Well, hey, I, I want to have this conversation because, again, I think what makes you so unique is you have been able to be fully you in various spaces and continue just to have great impact and influence. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious about that. Um, what's it like when you are kind of this, you know, well-known New Testament scholar at Ozarks? Everyone wants to take your classes. People know that, man, if, I, if I, I'm going to take a Mark Moore class, I'm going to learn so much about the life of Christ or the book of Acts is going to come alive. What, what's different about the classroom that you have for a semester than oh, yeah. sp- preaching on a weekly or, you know, you, you preach twice a month, it seems like, at CCV uh, on a regular basis to a group of people. Can you explain the difference in your preparation? Yeah, well, let me throw let me throw a third key in there. Of so, I've done a lot of youth conferences, done a lot of college classes, done a lot of uh, preaching here at a local church, which is different than being an itinerant speaker. The way I would describe the difference is if you're if you're looking at a thirty minute message with students, you probably need about seven minutes of like biblical content. You really need to connect emotionally, socially, stories, that kind of thing. If you go to adults, then you probably need not seven minutes, but maybe 10 or 12 minutes. And then you've got some illustrations. And it's, it's, it's not fluff. I don't mean to say it's fluff at all. It's connection. And you know, part of your question is, how, how am I able to, to, to go from one genre to another, one group to another? It, it's, it's all about connection because I genuinely care like I'm not a I'm not a like a touchy feely guy, but I'm an investor. And so the the word you said that triggered me was influence. And we we can maybe talk later about why would I move from a college classroom where I have this influence over students that will influence hundreds, sometimes thousands of others into a local church. But it is it's all about the quantitative nature of the influence, and and so often what I think of Steve. And I'll get to the church, the the college classroom. Well, I'll just do that now. Go from seven minutes to 12 minutes in the college classroom. You've got 45 minute lecture. About 40 minutes of it is content. Because I don't need to connect with you. Like you signed up for the class. That is the connection. <laughs> yes. I've, I've got I've got a great because I've never been able to, to figure out that the artificiality of an A, B, C, or an a, D or F like has so much weight with people. So in some ways, the college professor, it's easier. It's harder to come up with the content, but then you just vomit. And they, they have to take notes because they're driven by a letter of the alphabet that no one will ever look at again in their life. But it has this overwhelming power. So leveraging, leveraging, I would say the hardest group to speak to is actually students. Yeah. Because you have no leverage. At a conference, they don't know you. They don't like you. They don't need to know you. They don't. So one of the things that I did early on in the conferences, look, I'm five foot eight. I'm bald. Like, why would any student gravitate to me? So I just stopped trying to be cool. And it turned out that was like really cool. 
and students who just saw, hey, this is who I am. Yeah. If you don't like it, nothing I can do about it. But here's here's what I can offer to you because I care about your future. I care about you. And the other thing I did with students is I didn't talk to them like they were 16 going on 14. I talked to them like they were 16 going on 30. Yeah. And did I did I oversell that bet? Probably, probably sometimes I treated them like they were more adult than they were than they actually were. But I've never had a I've never met a 16 year old that didn't want to be 30 or be treated like they were 30. So just treating them with, with that respect. In the local church, I think I think where I've made the connection is I can bring a little bit of the the meatiness of the Bible without having it get lost in irrelevant historical or theological detail. I have no need for anyone to think that I'm smart. So providing what I know really is not about me. It's about, it's about the person receiving it. So I I don't know if I, if I've done anything right in, in my preaching career, it's, I start with, I start with it, with a seat and then move to the stage rather than the other way around. It's really, it's really interesting because even if you take that idea with the students, you flipped it from the superficiality to, to I'm going to be so focused on connection and I'm going to connect to a desire that you have to be seen as older. And you're just going to, and you're going to basically call them in and call them up. And I, and I love that. I, and I've seen that watching you teach. But you said something that I thought was really, really fascinating that seven minutes for students, 12 minutes of biblical content, 40 minutes from the classroom. And I think for one of the hardest pieces for most emerging voices and even for a lot of preachers, and, and you kind of you kind of talked about it just a second ago, that are irrelevant kind of biblical, it's almost going to stop the movement or the direction that you want to to take and help people connecting with God's word. How did you learn the art of elimination? Because to eliminate so much good content to get to seven minutes or to 12 to 14 minutes or even 40 minutes, but like you have all that in your brain. I mean, I've been around you and you've, you've pulled out Greek words and it's, I mean, you might be bald, but there is a mind on you, you know, but like that is a skill to have a scalpel and say this is this is gonna this is gonna kind of just kind of stop the flow and the movement of the talk. Um, how, how did you learn that? And do you have any principles on that? Well, I had I haven't ever actually thought about that question before, Steve. So thank you. I think for me, the, the helpful thing for me in teaching classes is you're doing 45 minutes every day, so four days a week. And you're doing that three times in a day. So you just dig this well, this deep, 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 deep. And with my students, I would have to take what I know and stretch it. Because that, I mean, that's a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. The first year for a professor is, I mean, it's insane trying to come up with that material. Literally every class I taught the second year, I took all my notes and I threw them away. Because I was stretching stuff. And I, I would have to take the nuggets and then add on. So probably it took me three years to be good at any class I taught. But after that, I was giving students this massive database from which they could pull. And I, I, I guess when you have all the information that you have, it's, it's able to pull the primary nuggets 
I had already had to do that with my classes. So then going into the pulpit, it's like it's it's you're eliminating more, but it's the same process of elimination. And then here here's what the, I would I would say to any communicator. This may not work for you. It works for me. I go through every message, at least for CCB, I will go through it out loud six times from start to finish before I ever step on stage. I have, and I don't know how I, how I got this, but I had this weird ability to bore myself. And so if I'm going and I'm just going, well, that's boring. I just cut it out or I'll go, okay, that's really interesting information, but is it helpful to the main point that I'm, that I'm trying to get across? So Early on in my speaking career, I came up, someone convinced me, you have one point. It's not a three-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. Drive, 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 drive. And anything that can't stick to that one driving point, it has to, it has to slough off. So, so okay, explain this to me again, because I think it's really, really important. You, you, this is why I love time with Mark Moore, because he says one thing, and it's like a Pandora's box of like 19,000 other questions. But you talked about you're looking for a primary nugget. I want to hit that in a sense. How do you, how do you discern if I gave you, you know, Acts 13, how are you discovering what are, what are the questions you're asking to get at the primary nugget? Second piece though, with that is six times. Um, so maybe we start here. Where did that number of six times? And, and what I do appreciate about CCV Christ Church of the Valley out in Phoenix is that you all have this kind of process um, where you 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 walk through it as a team, but maybe maybe talk through the six and talk through that primary nugget. Yeah, so the six is just from Wednesday on. Okay, that is post writing, like the whole thing is scripted out, uh, and then and then I will stand up often in a mirror and go through the whole message, and I hear I I listen to myself from the seat. So I'm I'm kind of on stage, but I'm also in the seat. I'm listening and saying, is that helpful? Is it is it driving me to where I, I need to go? The reason for the six is simply this, Steve. I go through once on Wednesday after I've after I've scripted it. I, I don't do a full manuscript, but like a five page detailed outline. And I go in the back room and I go through it and I go, no, that's TMI. That doesn't work. That's distracting. And then I go back to my desk and I rewrite or edit that five page. So that's number one. Number two is Thursday, where I'm getting just kind of getting ready to move from the manuscript. And I literally move from the five page manuscript to a one point as a one page uh, teaching outline. Just and they're just memory, memory, uh, memory points for me. Friday morning, Friday's my day off, but when I preach, first thing I do, I get up in the morning, I go upstairs, I go through it again. Only with the one page. At that point, I'm at about 35 minutes and I need to be down to 30. So Saturday morning, same thing, get up, go through it. Usually go out to my wood shop before lunch, I go through it again. Well, now we're at four times. And then I have lunch, get a little rest, go to go to the uh, ready room behind stage, and I go through it two more times to make sure that I'm going to be at about 29 minutes because I'm I will all once you get on stage. I, I one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite moments in Winnie the Pooh was uh, Winnie the Pooh had composed a poem, and he get, sh- shared the poem with Piglet and said, "What do you think?" 
well, there was one stanza that had two extra lines. They didn't match the cadence. And he said, what did you think, Piglet? He said, well, I, I liked it all except for those two lines. I didn't think they belonged. To which Winnie the Pooh said, well, I didn't think they belonged either, but they wanted to come in, so I let them. <laughs> it was, it was, so I, I, I try to keep space for that. So that, those, that's the six times. that It has to do with my ability to memorize over multiple days so that when I'm on stage, I might glance at that one sheet three times. Every time you lose eye contact with an audience, it's, it, it, it breaks the momentum, especially when you're speaking into a camera that is going to 10 different campuses. They, we are creating um, an environment. It's, it's like when you watch a movie, you're in the scene until someone opens the emergency exit door and you go, oh, I'm out of the scene. We don't want to break the scene. Is it, is it artificial? It, you could say it is. But it, it's very, very real. The word of God, whether it comes from a, from a printed Bible or from a screen, it's still very real. And the Holy Spirit can make it live right in here. I don't want to distract from what the Holy Spirit is doing by breaking eye contact, if I can help it. I love it, you know, because I'm a big, big proponent of preparation and, you know, prepares two words, you know, in the original language literally means yeah. before you go public. And I think so often that we we rush it and you can tell when i'm sitting there listening to someone teach that hey they they prepared a lot on their introduction they didn't prepare a lot on the main point or on the landing but when you can like have this thing live within you you know yeah. then all of a sudden you are more focused on the room and you're more focused on what god is stirring in the room which when those added sentences or paragraphs or stories come you're not like focused on where am i at with my notes where am i at in the manuscript you're going oh so good. Yeah. i want to see what god's doing here and god wants me to linger right here god wants me and and i think you you do that so so well okay let's go to the primary nugget let's let's say you you've been given this uh, text and what's great, you know, CCV, you, you guys are out a year ahead. Typically, you right. know, I'll see Ashley sometimes post on Instagram, you know, kind of the, the year-long preaching calendar. But you're given this topic. And um, tell me, how, how do you mine for that primary point? Well, there's so there's two different angles. Let me talk about what Ashley does and what I do. Um, I, I try to do what he – well, we both do what each other does. I'm probably better at taking, you said, Acts 13. And as soon as you said Acts 13, I've lectured through that literally 22 times. And so I can Rolodex all of the incidents, the Greek words behind it, the historical background, the culture from that. And this is why I would teach my students with such um, thickness. You don't know which part of the thickness you're going to need 10 years from now. It might be some, well, they were in Lystra. Okay. So in Lystra, there was this, this mythology of Zeus and Hermes coming to town one day. Well, because I know the mythology, I can, I can bump that up against the current mythology of what people are worshiping. So I, yes, I know more than I can bring to the pulpit but I never know what I'm going to need. And you can only mine from the pool of information and data that you have. So the reason that I can pull out one nugget is because I know 500. 
And maybe the 450th is what I want. Maybe it's the 17th is what I want. But if somebody only has 100, their, their pool of potential sources is thinner. So that's why for me, having that thick pool is so helpful. It makes my, it makes my prep time so much faster. I mean, I shouldn't confess this out loud, but this last Sunday I preached at a, at a, at a small church. My prep time was, I shouldn't say this. It was five minutes because it, I chose a text that I studied for 50 hours. Yeah. You, and, and we didn't have cameras and lights and all that technology to, to deal with. On Ashley's side, and this is where I'm leaning into him, he has, and you have this too, Steve, is a, a, a freakish ability to know what the person walking in the back of the door is feeling. Mm. The, the, the tension point of a marriage, the, the frustration of raising a teen, the loss of a parent to COVID. And he's helping me and you're helping me think through, okay, what's, what is the pain point of a person walking into the room? And if you can take the pain point of your guest with, with one of those 500 points of doctrine or information from scripture and say, what you're feeling right now is this. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm feeling. And you go, you know what? 2000 years ago, God said something to you and they just go, you, you're listening in a living Like you've got spies in my living room, don't you? No, we're just paying attention to culture and word of God. And when they, when they clash, and I, I want to say one other thing, Steve, it's the word of God is more relevant than, than Fox or CNN. Come on. The cyclical stories that we keep hearing on the news, the arguments you keep hearing at the gym, the the frustrations that moms talk about at the park when their kids are playing. The word of God has more to say to where you live and to where you want to go than any other piece of literature ever. If I were an atheistic pagan, I would still preach the Bible because it's that effective. Wow. You know, you know, it's, it's so, so good that you're saying this because you know, for, for many of you uh, who listen to this podcast, you know, you, you're just starting out. You're, you're a student ministry pastor. Some of you, you know, the last couple of years, you just stepped into full-time behind the pulpit preaching on weekends to uh, an adult congregation as a teaching pastor or senior pastor. And some of you have been doing this for, for 20, 30 years. Uh, but I think what's amazing that I want you to hear is having a robust kind of uh, when it comes to an Acts 13, you know, I, I know this for a fact with Mark because, you know, he's got all of these nuggets. And sometimes I think when we're, when we're like writing and crafting our talks, we're like, well, I'm going to, I got to use all of them up. Like we, we're mm-hmm. so, and, and what's amazing that, that we end up doing is sometimes we're like, if I don't use this up, like I'm never going to be able to use it. But the truth is like, you might, you know, find yourself five years later going to a church and you've spent 50 hours on this text and you're like, this text has been living in me. You know, it's, I always get a little jealous about uh, worship songs because the song gets done and then they just go play that song again and then they play it again and they play it again. There's not, there's not very often that the song kind of like evolves. Sometimes it does 25 years later or him gets a kind of new look or feel. But I think with teaching and with the text, I think this is one of the things sometimes we debate is the Bible, the inspired word of God. What so proves it to me is how it continues to inspire today that you can look at a passage and go, 
man, at Acts 13, this is how I would preach it. And I could look at it and go, hey, man, here in Illinois right now, this is how I would preach it. You know, you, you have these moments where it's just living and alive. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, Mark, you, again, this is just something, something that I feel you just do so well. It's, it's funny that you're like, you know, learning to, to feel the, the tension of the room, but you are a master at connection. And somehow where you Jedi mind trick people, in my, my opinion, is I want to know what you know. I, and I want to know even more than what you know, I want to know who you know. Yeah. And it's, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like important people in Arizona or at Ozark. I'm talking about Christ. And that, that, that connection that you, when you start to speak and teach, man, I'm like, I, I find myself getting drawn into what you know, but I get, I get moved to go, oh, I can know who you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's like, it doesn't matter what topic you're on. You'd be talking about marriage or service or prayer or acts. And I, I just feel this. And, and again, I just think that's one of the unique pieces of your sound that you do so well. Um, you don't get people lost out here. Like you just, you need to know this because it's going to help you get to who you really need to know. Um, and again, I, I, I find myself just like, it's like studying a, you know, a point guard in basketball where I'm like, man, how, how did you know? And I know sometimes you're probably like, I don't, I don't know. I just do this. This is what I just do. But I just keep asking you, like, is there, are there questions that you ask yourself? Because again, the way in which you go about this, it's, it's really special, man. Well, thank you. I, I, I guess my, as you're talking, I'm thinking through God crafted me in a, in a specific way. We're, we all have uniquenesses in the speaking world or teaching world. There's logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos is the content. Ethos is, is kind of the, 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 the culture you're getting at. And pathos is your feeling. No good teacher is lacking in any area. But all of us are going to lean into one area. For me, I'm the logos guy. And that's so. You mentioned a couple things in, in the introduction. Is um, is the the passion that I have? Logos and pathos are usually far apart. You know, you get some guy who knows a lot, but they're boring, or somebody that they just feel and man, you you love them, but you know, you're tired of hearing them cry. And and to be able to combine those two, my hook because it's my native ability. My hook is the logos. The connection is the pathos. So if I can get people going, yeah, I want to know what you know. So I'll always throw out, sometimes I do give TMI, but it's 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 kind of a, a, a strategy where I'm, I'm getting you lost in, like, let me just tell you a historical detail and this will be fascinating and, and you lean in and then I put my arm around you and get you in a headlock and go, let's feel this together, man. And I, I, so whatever, I would say to whoever's listening to this, find out what your, what your main kind of soul is. Are you logos? Are you ethos? Are you pathos? You cannot be negligent in any of them. But if you're a natural leader, let your leadership vision be the first step out of the gate. Let people go, man, I'll follow that guy. And then give them the, the information that they need in logos to follow you. Yes. But everybody has their hook. Sometimes it's humor. Uh, 
Sometimes it's wisdom. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes just people are good looking and you go, you know, it's not so bad on my eyes to look at them. Lean into whatever your hook is. Use the hook to draw them into the message. And then you open up the curtain and there Jesus is standing there and go, this is what I wanted to introduce you to. So I, I think where a lot of communicators fail is the hook feels good. And so they use it to self promote. The hook is what allows you to bring along the ethos and pathos in my case, so that you can step out of the way and go, ta-da, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. That's so good, man. I love that. Um, I, I think every one of our listeners is just writing that down. The, the logos, the, the ethos, the pathos. I mean, I just think I, I took a class on pathology and it was mm. one of the most helpful pieces for me of just going, oh yeah, this is the ache. This is, you know, and I think yeah. there's a bit of a feeler side in me, but there's also just that, that sense of, oh, the word, the Jewish roots or the Greek culture, you know, this, all of that. But, but again, I, I love the way that you articulated that. I know that I will lean towards this one, but I, but the merging of those two together um, is really, really unique because we're so used to seeing oftentimes a ton of energy with a little bit of fluff or a lot of academic with not so much passion. The way that you've been able to bring those two together is just, it's just stunning. Well, um, and I'll say a lot of my energy, Steve, is in the logos. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, you know, I'll get excited about some new thing that I've said. For example, here, here's one that actually pertains to this conversation. You, you brought up um, the Hebrews 4.12 passage about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Did you know that that word for word is not, is not graphe? It's, it's not like all scriptures inspired, that's graphe. It is not, this is interesting too, when Paul talked about the sword of the word, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it's not graphe, it's rhema, it's the spoken word. You don't have power if you know the Bible. You have power when you speak the Bible. But in Hebrews 12, it's the word logos. It's not, it's not a text. It's a person. It's a person. And if you only know the text, but you don't know the person, you will not divide between soul and morrow. So the, you asked me a question earlier. What question do I ask when I come to an Acts 13 and I have the, all this historical stuff, this cultural stuff, the linguistic stuff? The question that I'm asking is, what is the hook? You, you ask this when you, when you go bass fishing. What's the hook that that fish is going to swim toward? That will lead them, that, that will bring them to the master. So I can have hooks that are interesting, but they don't, they don't track with the pathos. They don't track with the ethos. That's not a good hook in that setting. Man, that's so good. Okay, this I have so many questions. So many questions. Um, the, the the first one I want to ask though is, there's topics that you can speak on, like right there. You just you just made like graphe, um, lago. I mean, you're you're bringing you're bringing in these these Hebrews passages, all of that to to give us a sense of the spoken word. It takes us back to Genesis one. God speaking into the chaos bringing order, you know, there's power in the spoken word. Are there ever like messages that you are crafting that you are so excited? You know, I think of like, you know, I keep using 
Acts 13. When I think about Acts 13, I think about just this, this powerful passage on evangelism for me personally, um, because you have Paul showing up and he's speaking and then people beg him to come back and he comes back the next week. And it says almost the entire town of Pisidian Antioch shows up. I just, I, I, I can't, they, there's no way the whole town could have fit into the synagogue. There's a massive amphitheater. And I just wondered, like, did they end up having to go to the amphitheater? You know, it'd be like going to play where, going to where the Sun Devils are, you know, to play. It's just all of Phoenix just going into the stadium to hear. I just like have these, like, like these, these moments of going, man, if just a hundred people were in a synagogue and they ended up having to like go tell everybody they knew, you got to come hear this guy. You got to come hear the spoken word. You got to like being so wrecked by the power of resurrection and the story of grace. Again, that's like Acts 13. I just, I, I get so enamored, but I'm fired up about that. But oftentimes, sometimes the audience or the congregation isn't fired up. How do you bridge when you know if this got into the culture, this became one of the, the ethos, one of the values mm-hmm. Of our, I mean, you guys just did an awesome series for the Valley. You know what I mean? Like this getting into us reaching our friend. How, how do you do that? When, when it's something that's so biblical, how do, you, how do you preach to that kind of value, if that makes sense? That, no, that, that, is, that, that does make a lot of sense because sometimes uh, it's like a parent wanting their kids to eat vegetables. <laughs> you know it's important, but they just don't like the vegetables. So you have to, you have to present the vegetables in, in, in a palatable way. Here's some tricks of the trade to make scholarship palatable. And I've used, I've used all of these. So let me just rattle off a couple. Uh, if your audience is in a single room, you can do this. If it's multi-site, you, you can't. But you can look at someone in the room and say, John, uh, I'm just going to talk to John right now because none of, none of the rest of you are going to be interested in this. Okay, So just give me a minute. John? And everyone else is going, wait a second, John's not smarter than me. I do want to know that. That's, that's, one, that's one tool. Another tool is bodily movement, uh, either from the stage down to the lower floor or from one side of the stage to another. If you turn your, don't turn your back on the audience, but if you turn your shoulder to the side of the audience, say, I'm going to talk to you guys over here. And then lower your voice and go, listen, you know, I was studying this passage and I literally leapt out of my chair. Okay, whatever you say next could be completely boring and they're going to go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That, that's another skill of, of using the stage to focus on one, one point, almost ignoring other people. We're so curious. We're going we're gonna to eavesdrop. Another, so this is, I use this in my classes because you cannot be interesting for 45 minutes at a time, even on a good day. So whenever I'd lose my classes and they knew I was doing it and it still worked like magic, I would say one of two things. It's time for an irrelevant story. (laughs) And they would just, if you can put it in a story form, uh, hugely important. Uh, Another thing to do is just stop talking. It's like, it's, it's magnetic and it, or say something and then like, now, I want to think about, I want to say this carefully. Now, you've already scripted it out. You know exactly what you're going to say, but I want to say this carefully because it's really important. So those are three tricks of, of gaining attention. 
but you also have to have, and you know, you're a master at this, Steve, is, is energy management. You can only do like one, like heavy hitting, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to nail you. And then you got to tell a joke. Did you got to rest? Then you got to tell a story. So stories are unique because they are both heavy hitting and emotionally, uh, they're an emotional vent. So the more, the more stories you can, which is why half the Bible's in story form. So those are, those are some of the ways that I, that I try to manage uh, from information overload. It's not just the amount of information. It's also the amount of emotional energy that people are having to expend listening to you. That's so good, man. I, I think that's, I think it's really, really important. And, you know, one of the, the, the pieces that you do so well, but it requires every communicator to do is self-awareness. And you have to be able to know yourself well enough and know the content well enough to go, man, I can take this for three minutes and now I'm going to need a joke or this was heavy handed and I'm going to need, or I can hold that pause for this long of a time because you know, the, the awareness that you have of self and of your craft and of the congregation has all the potential to create deeper, deeper, deeper connection to the text, to Christ, and even to the value that you're trying to instill. Mark, um, one of the things also that I just love in, in this whole podcast, I, I so desperately just want people to get better at the craft of communication. Yeah. And yeah. I love seeing and listening to great preaching and because there is power, like you said, in the spoken word. But I also, and you have this heart and you've shaped women and men just for, for many, many decades. But I want, I want us to be people where our character leads the way. And um, I'd love for you just to take a moment um, just to talk about in your, in your opinion, why character matters so much today. And yeah, yeah. What, what, what does that do in you when you think about the word character? Well, you know, obviously you, you look around our culture and it, you know, everyone's buzzing about the Mars Hill podcast. Yeah. 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 But is it, we can, we can talk about character in church, but what about politics? Yeah, that's right. What, what about schools? What, what about the medical field? We, we have a character deficit that is rising because, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back into my prof- professorial tone. Modern nations didn't even rise until about the 16th century. As economics rose, you had this individuation of economic systems within the borders of a particular country. In America, our economics has created the ability for privacy. If you look at how people made love in ancient world, it was not really public, but it wasn't private either. Or going to the bathroom was not a private affair. The more we have privatized our bodily functions, uh, as well as our relaxation and entertainments, the more we've been able to hide behind barriers the things that we don't want other people to see. So it has to do with economics. It has to do with culture that I asked my best friend. There was a pastor felt it was actually Robbie Zacharias came out. And I said to my best friend, how will I know if you're having an affair? Now he's an Enneagram five. So he's not flippant. He thought about it and he said, you wouldn't. Wow. Wow. 
Now, I will say that to all of you listening out there, any of us can have an affair. I could have an affair. Steve could. But I couldn't today. Because, well, for one, for one reason, um, my wife and I share, we have two credit cards. And anytime one of them swiped, both of us are alerted. So if I'm going to have an affair, it has to be a cash only. And that's just a pain in the butt. I'm not going to, like, I've made it hard to have an affair financially. And then uh, she also has knows where my phone is. So I've made it technologically difficult to isolate. If you can set up some boundaries, at least with those who know you well, you have a chance of having character. But all of us are going to gravitate. Well, let me let me say this. On any given day, I'm fine. I'm fine. But all of us have bad days. I'm not concerned about your good days. I'm concerned about your bad days. Are your barriers sufficient on your bad days to stall sin long enough until you can get to a cycle of a good day? And Steve, I know, I mean, with your history, you've had some bad, bad days. Yeah. And without the barriers, you would have been lost to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And you, you've been closer, closer to it certainly than, than I have been, but whenever, and this is a warning for, for all of you up and coming pastors, you go, man, if my church could get to a thousand or to 5,000 or to 10,000, the larger your church is, the more barriers there are in place for people getting to authentically know you and hold you to account. And the larger your organization is, the more people are going to kiss up to you so that they can get, it's not because they like you, don't be deceived. The compliments you're getting are not because you're great, it's because you have something that could make their life better. But if you hear enough compliments from enough people, you get the idea, man, I am what they say. No, you're not. You are who God says you are. And if you lose sight of that, it's, it is devastating. The amount of isolation that I have is very dangerous which is why the more the more you rise to independence the higher your salary the, the the more gates in front of your house the the more openness you need to have in your heart to let people in who can actually not just theoretically track you in these men's meetings where we go you know I'm going to ask you three questions the last question is did you lie to me you know what it hasn't it hasn't helped what helps are, are, are tangible, practical habits, rhythms, and guardrails that are accessible to other people. So sorry for that little. No, that, brain, that's. And I, I, mean, it's, I, I care about it so much. Yeah. And, here, and here's why it matters. Robbie Zach, I still listen to Robbie Zacharias's messages. I'm, I may be one of like five people who still do that because I'm the Logos guy. I want the information more than the character, but he just. Not only did he undo his own ministry, he undid mine. Because now people look at me and say, well, you're one of them. No, I'm not. Wow. Wow. Man, that's, that's a powerful, that's a powerful, that's a powerful word, the undoing of mine. And no, I'm not. Wow. Um, Mark, I want to, I want to end this time because um, you, one of, one of my favorite things about you is, um, not just this heart for the word, but the heart that you have to help people who are curious mm-hmm. about the word yeah. grow in confidence with the word. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for resources. I'm always looking for, for tools to hand 
students and college students and to help just just help congregations get more aware of how they can really help their people grow deeper in God's word. And I stumbled across Core 52 and I was like, I just, I saw a video that you had put out and I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is awesome. Got a hold of it, started flipping through it. I was like, this is remarkable. Tell, tell me just a little bit about the, the heartbeat behind Core 52, um, why these passages of scripture are so important to you. And at the end, if you were willing to do this project and go through this, like what this could mean for your congregation or your students. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it's basically a concept where in our church, we have thousands of people who come in with biblical illiteracy. Yeah. And the problem with that is um, that's going to destroy your marriage. Now, your marriage can be great. But when when it goes at a bump in the road, if you don't have God's God's counsel, God's wisdom, you're going to make some bad decisions. That's true for your work, for your job, for your ethics, for your child rearing. In fact, uh, longitudinal studies, like a nine year study, 200,000 people, they asked them uh, about their habits in life. Those that had the habit of reading the Bible four days a week or more. Listen to these stats. Drunkenness dropped by 62 percent. Use of pornography dropped by 60%. Gambling addictions by 45%. The tangible change in people's lives because of the word of God is, is so extraordinary. I said this before, I'll say it again. If I was a pagan, I would still teach the Bible because of the difference it makes in people's happiness, in their self-esteem, in their ability to, to accomplish what they want to accomplish in life. So I'm, I'm wrestling with how can I make God's word accessible? Look, it's a big book, 1,500 years, 66 books, over 40 authors, three continents. How do you make that relevant to the members of your church? And the answer is you don't. <laughs> we have told people year over year to read the Bible, read the Bible. And they go, I know I should read the Bible. And we tell them, if you read the Bible, your life gets better. You know the Bible better, you get better. And, and they go, yeah, I know that, but but how do I do it? We go, well, read the Bible. So they start in Genesis in January. They get to Leviticus in March and go, I'm out. We have done a disservice telling people that they need to know all that's in the Bible. You never will. So the 80-20 principle, Pareto principle, is if you, the 80% of your gains in any field are from 20% of your efforts. So why do we keep telling people that you have to know 100% of the Bible? What if I could tell you the 20% or even better, the 2%? So I started listening to the sermons that I listened to and asking a simple question. What are the passages that preachers keep preaching over and over and over again? Why do they preach them over and over again? Because they see life change when they do. Sermon on the Mount. Book of Romans, Book of James. We just keep coming back to these pivotal passages. And I thought somebody ought to identify the top 100 passages in the Bible. So I thought, well, I guess I'll do it. I don't know if I'm the right person, but I'm a person. So I took these 100 to the publisher and they said, uh, nope, you get 52. One for each week of the year. I go, 52? It's like asking a mother to, to drown half her babies. And but so if you look at the book, there's actually a, um, a, a overachievers challenge at the end. But that, yeah, that's yep, where I put yep. the other that's where I put the other 52. So I cheated. 
But the idea was for the, for the men in my church in particular, because men don't read books, how can I do a short chapter that would be a pivot point They would where I know all 52 of these changed lives? Could there be others included? Sure. Did I maybe miss one or two of your favorites? Sure. But Steve, this is what shocked me. This book's been around a couple of years. I thought that theologians, pastors around the country would look at me and go, you, you arrogant cuss. I'm like, what makes you think that you can choose those 52? You know how many times that's been asking me? Of hundred, well, no, thousands of emails once. Wow. And I said, well, here's how I did it. I just listened to all the sermons I listened to and ask which are the passages people keep preaching on. And they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And what we're seeing, there's churches, some, some churches are using it for their preaching calendar. It's actually, I mean, I'm not, this is not a sales pitch, but uh, core52.org uh, has all the auxiliary materials, 52 videos, 52 memorization videos. Uh, so that's 104 videos, actually. There's questions you can ask for small groups. What I'm loving is seeing churches that are doing this, particularly for small groups, the easiest curriculum you'll ever do because the questions are there. Everyone reads the chapter. If they don't read the chapter, it doesn't really matter because we're going to show a six minute video and you can have a robust discussion on something that has a proven track record of changing people's lives, anxiety, happiness, atonement, Jesus, sacrifice, service, creation. Those, those are the big ideas of the Bible. When people go through the 52 big ideas of the Bible, they, they have this confidence. And this is where it's really powerful. And we mentioned it earlier. You're not just letting the word of God come into you. The word of God sneaks out of you when you're in a conversation at the gym. Yes. And it just rolls out and someone goes, man, where'd you get that wisdom? It's the word of God, man. So a lot of, lot of life change from this uh, would love for people. If you, if you have your own Bible study program, run with it. If you're looking for something that will work with small groups to get people engaged in the Bible, you don't have to know all the Bible, but here are the mountain peaks that change people's lives. Yeah. You know, in, in any of you who are listening to this, you, you know, right now, just if you go back and rewind 22 minutes and you heard Mark talk about the logos and the and the pathos and the you know you you just saw that energy come out and what's so cool about core 52 for me is you have a bible teacher who actually teaches on the weekends and understands people and you're going to see that passion you're going to see that connection and people are going to be able to connect deeper to the word which is going to get them even more deeper connected to what your church is doing. And um, I just say, hey, if you're looking for a resource for 2022, um, it's it's one to definitely, definitely check out. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for the time. I want to end with one last question because you have been a cohort kind of year-long coach where you've yeah. been with a group, um, you know, nine or 10 preachers, senior pastors, like they're with you. Hey, why do you think for, for pastors, they should consider being in, and I'm not saying just the crafting character cohort. They can be in any cohort for preaching, but yeah. like, why, why do you think, and has it's so important and what has surprised you about this process? Uh, well, this didn't, so this is why it's so important. It's not because uh, Steve will be a coach or, or, or a mentor and I'll be a coach. You do get to be around some people that have been around a lot of great preaching and can just 
take your preaching and and take take five or ten years off of the learning curve. Wow. Each of our guys, um, I've, we've got nine in the cohort. Each of those guys are they, and they've said this. They feel like they have just advanced exponentially in their preaching. So that's that's the that's part of the value of it. But what stunned me, Steve, is the very th- first thing we did Monday night, and we've only had one of our three meetings for the year. First night, I sat down and I had watched one sermon from each of them, and I just kind of undressed each of them and said, "Here's what I see. Here, here's here's where I think you're strong. Here's maybe some some areas you think about um, growing in in this year, and then have them tell the story." That transparency bonded them together. There has been maybe two Sundays since May that, and I didn't do this. The cohort has done this every Sunday morning. One of them will send a group text out saying, Hey, praying for you guys. What are you going through? It has been, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. They're getting professional help, but being in a group of guys that care about each other from a professional level, we have, uh, two guys with job offers right now. People are trying to pull them away from their churches. Guess who they're going to for counsel? The cohort. We, we got one guy that's being elevated his own church into an executive pastor role. And he's going like, what are, what are my blind spots here? What do I need to consider with this? One guy is probably going to leave the church he's in. It's not the best fit for him. Who's he going to? The guys in the cohort. So if you're in a place of your life where you want to elevate, uh, move, or or stay where you are and just be the best version of yourself there, it's a it's it, it really is a sacred space for these guys to be a part of. I've been like I I can't believe that I get to lead this. It's such an such an honor. Well, man, the guys that they just adore you, and you've been such a gift. And I just love the way that you just talked about that. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for, for joining us, your wisdom. Uh, we'll have Core 52 in the show notes and a link for, for any of you who want to pick up the book. Um, or, and also, uh, you can find his teachings uh, at ccv.church. They're just an amazing church doing amazing good throughout the valley and beyond. Um, and if you're curious about uh, learning a little bit more about the Craft and Character uh, cohort, you can go to the Ascent Leader. We'll have that in the show notes.org, theascentleader.org. And uh, we'd love just to help you in any way find that community find that connection, get better at the craft and and be assured that your character can lead the way. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Thanks for tuning in.